Would you join with me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in all our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength, our song, and our salvation. Amen. Why did you come here today? Maybe for communion or fellowship? Maybe to hear a word to get you through the week or music that touches your soul? Maybe, as some of the folks in adult faith formation discussed last week, to be inspired and connected and encouraged to go make a difference in the world or in this community. Maybe you came here today because you needed a place to get warm or to rest your weary bones or to cry. Maybe because there is no other place than here that you can even imagine being on a Sunday morning and the question, why are you here, seems ridiculous. I want to ask that question in an even broader sense, too. Why did you come to church, any church, in the first place? What drew or carried you the first time you ever touched base with the church? Was it a parent or a grandparent who included you in their Sunday routine? Or a friend who invited you to come along to a place that they found meaningful? Was it a broadcast on the radio or TV or internet that made you curious? Perhaps you experienced a voice deep inside you that you knew belonged to God, but that you thought might sound crazy if you were to tell someone, but maybe those people at church would understand. Maybe it was that you hit bottom and had heard that a church might help you keep going while you slowly recovered. How did you come to be at church at all? Let's pan the camera of that question back even further. No matter who it was that first introduced you to the church, why did they come? Or why were they apart? If you are here today because, say, a grandparent first walked you into a big, mysterious building when you were a child and sat beside you in a pew to listen to strange but compelling words from a person who stood high above you at the front, and if that grandparent perhaps whispered, the body of Christ broken for you, as a plate of bread was passed from hand to hand through the pew, then how did that grandparent get to church when they were young so that they could bring you someday in their future that's now a distant day in your past? In the largest possible sense, I imagine you are here today either in person or virtually because at some point you were invited to an experience 
from someone who had heard and responded to their own invitation, from someone else who had received a blessing, perhaps, from someone else who had felt the presence of Christ, from someone else who had heard the voice of Jesus spoken in the mouth of someone else whose eyes had been opened in the breaking of the bread at the hand of someone else and someone else and someone else and someone else, stretching all the way back through time and distance to a moment on a beach by the Sea of Galilee when Jesus invited Peter to come and follow him. And Peter did, with Jesus' words, be not afraid, ringing in his ears. We are here not just at church, but as church today, because the experience of meeting Jesus and the invitation to follow him and the willingness to do so has kept happening and making a difference in both individual lives and the life of the world, and so has been passed on from generation to generation to generation. Even Paul, only one generation after Jesus walked beside the Galilee, wrote to the church in Gospel that the gospel that the, the church in Corinth that the gospel they received, which Paul had proclaimed to them, was what he had first received as a message from others. The words he uses to describe the gospel he both received and shared are in fact the earliest scriptural witness to the Easter event, the death and resurrection of Jesus and the subsequent appearance of the risen Christ to the disciples. That initial witness has continued for 2,000 years. And so here we are, inheritors of the story of Easter, but we could also ask why we are here in the way that Aristotle did. What is our end cause or our proximate purpose? What are we here for? In shorthand, we're here to show the world that Easter is still happening. It wasn't just a one-time event, but it continues to be part of the life of the world. We're here to show in our bodies and in our body that death does not have the last word and that we continue to be witnesses to and agents of the new life that God is always revealing. Even in the mid, uh, middle of a Michigan winter, even in the middle of a global pandemic, even in the middle of our own upheaval and transition as a church, we are here to tap into the flow of grace and transformation that has been going on for 2,000 years so that it can keep on flowing abundantly from us for generations still to come. When COVID launched into the world over two years ago, over two years ago, it seemed for a while that that flow stopped. Bad news spread with the virus faster and further than the good news of Christ's gospel. Churches couldn't meet together as they had for 2,000 years. The hands-on ministry that is the joy and lifeblood of so many church bodies was locked down like so much else. We grieved 
we lamented, we fumed, we despaired, we raged. And then we figured out how to open other channels, both for gathering and for extending grace. Just last Sunday, for instance, five drivers from this congregation took bags of Candlemas craft kits put together by three volunteers to 45 families with a total of around 100 children ages 2 to 18. Those festival craft deliveries have gone out in person six times since the pandemic began, in addition to a handful of other crafts that have been mailed out and have kept our church families and children connected to church in ways that would not have happened if the invitation were only for them to come here and attend in person. The good news keeps going out. Zoom meetings, no matter what you feel about them, Zoom meetings have allowed participation in everything from book clubs to prayer groups to council meetings and have been able to include people who otherwise would not have been able to take part. Here's another statistic. Since we began broadcasting our services originally on YouTube and then on Facebook, we are regularly getting close to 300 online viewers in worship, in addition to the 80 to 100 people who are here in the pews week by week. Other churches have experienced similar widening of their audience. The flow hasn't stopped, it's just expanded into other channels. And yet it poses a challenge for the church. Because church was never meant to be a performance venue catering to an audience. We're meant to be a participatory soup kitchen where real people come to be fed and to make soup and then to turn around and feed others. We're a hospital for the wounded and the lonely to find healing and then to give healing and offer it to others. We're a choir for the voiceless and the professional soloists to sing together so that people who have too long been left out can find their own place in the song. We are a telethon for joy. We are builders of sanctuary. And as we sing each week, we are creators of justice and joy. So it's natural to wonder who is building with us? Who is being fed? And who has a really good recipe for soup that they'd like to share? So I'm wondering if any of you who are here today, either virtually or in person, wonder if you'd be willing to jot down a comment on that orange card or in the comment section of the link that is was in the email, would you be willing to jot down a comment about why you're here? You could use the Facebook comments if you're there or the bright coral card if you're in the pews. Maybe say something like, hi from Peoria, my cousin's a member. Or, I met Pastor Sarah at Outfront Kalamazoo and I've been looking for a church that really includes me and it's welcome. Or, I can't get out of the house, but thanks for sending your service into mine. 
It will be a great gift to the body as a whole to get a wider picture of who's here and why so that we can be more aware of the deep waters we are being called into as we open our own hands both to receive and to share the bread of life. Our calling as the church, the why of our being, is both to take in and to pour out the good news of Christ's grace and transformation, no matter how we are able to do that. I want to close with this story that I heard some years ago that's a colorful reminder of this truth of our why. From what I could find, it was originally published in McCall's magazine in 1928, before Israel was recognized as a nation. And so it begins like this. There are two seas in Palestine. The first is fed by the Jordan River. It has blue water and is full of fauna and flora. Life is abundant there and for generations has created home and livelihood for fisherfolk and others. Trees line its banks and children play in and around this vibrant inland sea surrounded by sunny hills. Here life flourishes. Further south, the cool rolling waters of the Jordan River flow into a second sea as well. But here there are no fish swimming or birds singing. There is no sound of children's laughter or leafy trees fluttering on its banks. No creature can drink from its waters and the air hangs heavy above it. Travelers nearby choose another route unless on urgent business. Unlike its neighbor to the north, it is an inhospitable place. What makes the enormous difference between these two neighboring seas? The waters of the Jordan River flow into both bodies. The soil, the history, the geography are the same in both places. Both people, the people nearby, share the same long history. So what, what is the difference? It is this, the Sea of Galilee in the north receives but does not keep the waters of the Jordan. For every drop that flows into its blue deeps, another drop flows out. It is ever renewing and always fresh. The giving and receiving go on and on in equal measure. But the other sea, hoards the waters of the Jordan. It has no outlet. Every drop it gets, it keeps. It has no channels for sharing, and so its waters collect and gather salt. It gives nothing, and so it lies stagnant and stale. There are two seas in Palestine. The Sea of Galilee gives and lives. The other keeps everything and shares nothing, and it is called the Dead Sea. Why are we here? To receive God's gifts of abundant life, yes, but then 
to find every channel and every station and every platform and every humanly possible connection we can for letting that life flow out of us too. And Jesus says to us now, as he did to his followers by the Sea of Galilee so many years ago, do not be afraid. Amen? Amen.